Father, this morning we are grateful for the work your Son has done on our behalf. We are overwhelmed with your love for us and the evidence of your love for us and the fact that you sent Jesus because of my sin, because of the sin of those that are gathered in this room. Father, we are grateful that we have the privilege and the opportunity to sing these kind of words in appreciation and gratitude to who you are and what you have done. And now, Father, I pray that as we begin to study and read and to think about and even to apply your word to our lives this morning, that God, that the gratitude, the recognition does not end when the instruments stop. But Father, may we sit in awe this morning that you, our creator, the holy, omnipotent, all-powerful God, would be willing to reveal himself to us through your word. And that, Father, that we here as a church this morning, that, God, we can come and we can gather around your word and to hear what you have to say to us. And that we can learn how we might have a right relationship with you. And God, how we can be encouraged because you have not left us alone in judgment. But God, that you have provided a means of redemption and restoration for us. So Father, as we proceed with our worship this morning. Father, may you remind us just how much you love us and how much we have to be grateful for. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You'll be seated this morning. I'm grateful that you are here if you have a Bible. And I hope you do. I invite for you to turn and open it with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And when you came in, hopefully you got one of these bulletins on the back of that. There's some notes if you want to reference that as we study through God's Word together. But Exodus chapter, I said 34, didn't I? It's actually 35. If I said 34, I'm sorry. It's going to be Exodus 35 is where we're going to pick up in a few moments. Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship. And we are grateful that we get to be in the house of the Lord today. We've been studying through the book of Exodus for several weeks now, and maybe even some months now, and we're looking at the book of Exodus as, a, as an example, as a model, if you will, of how it is that we li- live a set-apart life. If you think about the book of Exodus, the story about how God sends Moses to Egypt and takes the chosen people, the ones that were promised, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God made a promise to Abram. They go back to Egypt, you gather up all the Israelites, all the Jewish people out out of bondage and out of slavery, and Moses brings them out under the grace and the mercy of God. He brings them out, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. This is Exodus chapter 19. And at Exodus, in, at the base of the mountain there in Sinai, God gives his Ten Commandments. That's Exodus chapter 20. And then from Exodus chapter 21 all the way down through Exodus 31, we see God downloading to Moses and saying, All right, Moses, now 
This is what I want you to do. And this is what it means to be a people that are set apart for me. These are my standards. These are my commandments. These are my rules. These are all the things that are, you are going to have to observe and be mindful of when it comes to coming to my holiness, coming to my intention, my plan for you. If you remember the last several weeks, Exodus 32 rolls around and the people go, Hey, Moses has been up on the mountains 40 days and 40 nights, we don't know what has happened to him, so they decide they're going to make their own idols, and they're going to move away from the worship of God and move to the worship of idols, and that's Exodus 32. God sees this. God knows this is going on. He tells Moses, get back down there because those people have broken out and sinned against me. So then you get to Exodus chapter 32, and we see Moses coming down, confronting the people of their sin. Exodus 33, God says, you've sinned against me. You can keep on going to the promised land, but I am not going to go with you. And then Exodus 34, Moses comes in and just intercedes on behalf of the people to God. God relents as the way the, 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 the passage unfolds, and you see this restoration taking place. So out of the last several weeks, we've talked about this idea of our sin and what our sin does to us, and then how God deals with our sin when we repent before God. So where we were at last week in Exodus 34 is that God had said, Okay, you have sinned against me, you have now repented of your sin, and now I am restoring you back to right fellowship with me. So then the question then full, keep, continues to unfold as we get into Exodus 35. So then how do the people then respond to God's forgiveness? How do the people then respond to God's grace? How do the people then respond to God's mercy in their life? So that is where we're at in Exodus 35. God has shown his grace to the people. The people came and petitioned for forgiveness. I'm using some New Testament terms, but you understand what I'm saying? He has petitioned for forgiveness. God has granted that forgiveness. And now we see how the people respond back to God. Now this, what we're going to look at, this story this morning, this example this morning, has two different applications. The first application is for our lives personally. Maybe you've gone through that season of spiritual drought. And you're just like, God, I just, what do I do? There's a recipe here that we're going to see this morning on how we deal with spiritual drought. Maybe you've gone through a season where you know that you've been backslidden. You know that you've rebelled and disobeyed God. And, and finally, enough conviction, uh, enough, uh, enough heavy hand was on you. And you finally said, I've got my mind right, God. And you have repented and you've sought forgiveness. And you're going, so now what? There, there's a recipe in here for you. Or maybe that time is still coming in your life. And you're going to find yourself in a dark place, a distant place, a dry place. When it comes to your relationship with God and you're saying, what do I do? There's a, there's a recipe in here for you. But there's another piece of application that we're going to see this morning that not just doesn't apply to us personally in our own personal walks before the Lord, but there's a second application that it applies to us corporately. You see, even when it comes to the body of Christ and a body of believers and a, and, and a church here at Wilson, there can be ebbs and flows. There can be highs and lows. There can be good days and there can be bad days. And there can be spiritual battle and there can be spiritual success. All of these things can come and go back and forth, in and out. And so there's a recipe here for us as a church. And what do we do? How do we respond? And how do we look continually to what God has for us? So there's not just the individual consideration but there's also the corporate 
consideration. What do we do as a church when we're reminded or overwhelmed or brought to a renewed level of recognition of God's grace in our lives? So Exodus 35. Exodus 35 Verses 1 through verse 3 talks about the Sabbath. You don't want me to talk about that and meddle in your own personal stuff. So we're going to save that for another day. And so we're going to look at Exodus 35 and verse 4. Exodus 35 and verse 4, you see coming into this passage. So let me just recap once again. So the people have sinned, God has restored, and now the people are ready. And so from Exodus 35 all the way to Numbers chapter 12, you're going to see the progression of the people then leaving Sinai, and now they are headed to the promised land. And so all of this is in preparation. Okay, you've got my word, you've got my law, you've got my commands, so now you're going to put all these pieces together in order to move out and move from Mount Sinai to the promised land. But there's something they have to do before they leave Mount Sinai. And that was something that God had told them. And that's where you're going to see in Exodus 35 and verse 4. And this is where we're going to pick it up. We're going to look at these different responses that people have. In verse 4, what does Moses say? It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has Commanded. So when you think about, they've already had this moment, this come to Jesus meeting, they've already gotten right with God, and so now you can think about all the things that may come up on what should we do next. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is what is the next thing to do. So here in the story, what happens is, is Moses is going to lead the people, and I put this in your notes, he's going to lead the people to prioritize the plan of God. The first response that we see from Moses and the people is to prioritize the plan of God. Where do you get this from, Spence? Well, right there in verse 4, Moses said to Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. And then he goes on there in verse 5, and he gives them this instruction. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen goat, linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil on the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its basins, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son for their service as priest. All of these things that Moses comes to the people and says, all right, okay, so now we've gotten back in right standing before God, so what are we going to do? We are going to erect 
a tabernacle. And you can imagine all the people, over 600,000, maybe 800,000 at this point, are looking at Moses and going, what is a tabernacle? And he says, I've got the plan. Now, where did he get the plan from? Well, Moses already knew God's plan. You may say, well, how do you know that, Spence, from this passage that Moses already knew God's plan? Well, go back to Exodus chapter 25. So in Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He gives all this instruction to Moses, tells Moses, you go down and tell the people. Exodus 24, they confirm this covenant with God. At the very last part, in 24 and verse 18, it says, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Then you get to Exodus chapter 25, and God starts saying to Moses, All right, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get the people together. They're going to bring a contribution to the Lord. Exodus 25, verse 10, he talks about how they're going to make this Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25, verse 23, how they're going to make the table for the bread. Exodus 25, verse 31, how they're going to make the golden lampstand. Chapter 26, chapter 27, chapter 28, chapter 29, chapter 30, and even into chapter 31, God is giving the instruction to Moses on how they are to build their tabernacle. Why do I say that to you? Because God had already given the plan to Moses. God had already revealed what his plan was. And then even when the sin broke out in Exodus 32, there was restoration. And now they're back in Exodus 35. God still has a plan for the people. Why is that significant to us today? Is because sometimes this world is so adept of getting you and I distracted with sin. Or Satan gets us off the path that we should be going. And, and sometimes we come to the point, come to the end, and we find ourselves saying, well, you know what? Everything is lost. Everything is forgotten. Now everything is messed up. And I want to remind us this morning that God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. And so what do we do when we find ourselves coming out of a season of spiritual dryness? We look to what is the plan of God? What has God revealed that he wants us to do? You're coming out of a time of rebellion and you're coming back into time of repentance. What do we do? We look to and say, what is God's plan for my life? We as a church, we go through a season of an ebb and flow. Maybe we go through a valley and we're coming back up on the high hill. What do we do as a church? We look to and say, what is the plan of God? We are continually looking for ways to prioritize God's plan for us. So what do they do? Moses says, here's where we're going to start. We're not worried about how we're going to arrange camp for the traveling. We're not going to worry about setting up some type of a democratic type of government. We're not going to worry about trying to send out scouts to figure out what the best path and where we're going to go. We're not going to worry about all those things. We are going to sit here and go, God said the first step is to build a tabernacle. So we're going to prioritize the plan of God. So Moses gives them all of this information, verses 4 all the way down through verse 19. And he says, these are all the things you're going to do. These are all the ideas that you have. And these are all the ways that you can bring a contribution to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but just imagine yourself in the picture. You're an Israelite. And you're out in the middle of the desert. And Moses comes and says, we're going to build this tabernacle. And you're like, great. And you get on your phone. I don't have phones, but let's just say you get on your stone tablet type phone. And you, and you plug it in and you try to find the nearest Lowe's. Uh-uh. Hey, no, no, no. I'm going to plug in Bud Blakely Hardware. 
No, no, no. Then, you, then you'll go to Higginbottoms, right? Higginbottom Brothers, and, and, you'll, and you'll look for that. No, no, no. So then you go to the Sutherlands. Remember the old Sutherlands used to be in Edmond? You go to Sutherlands, and no, no, no. And, and you search, and you're like, all right, Moses, that's a great idea, but Moses, where is all this going to come from? We can prioritize the plan, and we can prioritize the work of God. We can prioritize what God's Word says, but how is it going to happen? Huh. That's why God's Word's cool, because look at verse 20. Exodus 35 and verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Can you imagine the conversation that took place as mom and dad and the kids are leaving the congregation? They're leaving the church. And Moses said, we are going to start a building campaign. And I need all of this material. Can you just imagine mom and dad and the kids going back in their Flintstone vehicle thinking, I don't know. He's crazy. I don't know how this is going to happen. But then, then listen to what the word of God says. Verse 21. And they came. So they departed, and then they came back, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service, for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were willing heart, brought brooches or brooches, depending on where you grew up, brooches uh, and earrings, signet rings, armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yards or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. And everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And then it goes on and says, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And it goes all the way from verse 25 all the way down to verse 29. And it gives this, this indication that Moses says, this is what the plan of God is. This is what we're going to prioritize. And then what happened was, is the people then provided for the mission of God. So how did the people respond? They prioritized the plan of God. And then they provided for the mission of God. Now you may say, well, Spence isn't that great. All of them were carrying around, and they had all of this stuff, all of this bill material. They just happened to have it laying around, and they just didn't have any use for it. No. Remember where they got it from? Remember where they got it from? It wasn't that they created it. It wasn't that they made it. It wasn't that they bought it. It was given to them. Let me read into your hearing, or you might just write this down. Exodus chapter 12. And in verse 35, they're getting ready to leave. The people are getting ready to leave Egypt. And it says, The people of Israel had done also as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver for, and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So get this idea in your mind. So the people are out there at the base of Mount Sinai and they were loaded with material that they're going, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I don't have any use for this out there chasing sheep in the middle of the wilderness. I don't know, but I've got some really cool stuff back in my tent. And then, voila, here comes Moses says, we're going to create a tabernacle, and the stuff we need is the stuff you have. And you can imagine the people going, but this is my stuff. No, 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 no. See, God supplied this stuff to you so then you could then respond back to God. I always find it, perplexing of how many times people struggle with the concept of a tithe. If God gives me a $100 bill and says, Spence, I'm going to ask that you give $10 back in a tithe, what am I going to do? God, I don't want your $100 bill? No. 
Do I have a right to then get mad in God and say, you gave me the $100 bill, but now you want 10 of it back? Oh, that's not fair? No. What would it see if I said, you gave me a $100 bill, but you don't deserve the $10 back? What would that look like on me? And, and, and it's all these attitudes that are, that are associated with it. So what do the people do? They provided for the mission of God. What was the mission? We need to gather these materials, and we need to erect this tabernacle. And so what does it key upon? Does it key it upon Moses then started preaching on giving? No. Was it Moses got out there and started haggling people? No. Is it Moses got up and said, everybody needs to give more money? No. What happened? Verse 21. Look back up at verse 21. Chapter 35 and verse 21. It says, and they came. <clears throat> everyone whose heart stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him. What does that teach us? What is the example that is there? The people provided for the mission of God when the spirit moved in their hearts. When the Spirit moved in their hearts, they began to become generous with the things that God had already given them. And then you look down there and uh, la, 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 la. I lost my place. Verse 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. So the provision that the people then brought to the Lord for the mission of God was a result of the Spirit moving in their heart and a willingness in their attitude. It wasn't a matter of duty. It wasn't a matter of obligation. It wasn't a matter of someone came around and nagged them or someone showed you enough videos and pulled at your heartstring. It was the idea that when we realize that what we have, everything that we have, is a gift of God and as an opportunity for us to use for the service of God, and we start to think about what is God's plan, and then we think about how can I join in the provision of God's plan, and when the Spirit starts to move in the heart, then the people became willing to do the things that God had put in their heart. Giving, whether it is money or time or resources or abilities, giving begins in the heart. It's not a matter of your wallet, and it's not a matter of your hands. It's a matter of your heart. And I shouldn't say your, I should say our. It's a matter of our heart. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter. Put your toes back. It doesn't matter whether it's a black giving box. It doesn't matter where it's at in the order of service. It doesn't matter if it's in person or online. It, giving is a matter of the heart. And you know what? Be quite honest with you. I'm not so much concerned about if you give or how much you give or how much time you give. I'm not concerned about the quantity of your giving. I'm more concerned about the condition of your heart. Because the heart is the bigger issue, not what you do with the resources that God has given you. The resources that God has given you will follow the posture and the condition of your heart. So here, Moses, notice what he did not do. Moses did not institute a tax. Moses did not say, everybody, this is the minimum standard that you will give. Moses did not come in and say, well, we're going to have different tiers of donors. So you have your bronze level, and you have your silver level, and you have your gold and your gold medallion givers. He didn't set up the He didn't say, okay, well, if you give enough money, we will name the Holy of Holies after you. He didn't do any of that. He just said, you know what? You know what God has given you. You know what God is calling you to. You give as God stirs in your heart. Praise the Lord. Years ago at the church I was serving at previously, there was a woman that was taking a, 
gardening class with Jaylene at the Votek, and they were driving back and forth, and they started visiting, and this lady and her husband, they lived in the area. And so just that form of, that, that form of familiarity, she showed up at church, and she had her two grandsons, and introduced myself and started to get to know them, and then later on I got to know the, the husband, and later on they became, uh, started plugging in and, and committing to the life of the church, and a really great, sweet couple. And, and through part of our conversation, I just asked them, I said, well, why have you been out of church for so long? I'm not, this isn't a judgmental question. This is just a curiosity question. And they said, well, the previous church we were at, the preacher would set up there and they'd take up the offering and the preacher would look at the offering and he'd look at it and say, no, that's not enough. Run it again. And she said, that bothered me. I was like, what? <laughs> it bothered me too. And then she said, at even at one point, the preacher singled my husband and I out. He was a, uh, he was a uh, serviceman in the Coast Guard, and he had gotten promotion. And so the, the, the preacher had known that their pay, that their, that their household income had increased a, a small amount. And so he even said, send this back to that woman because her husband has recently got a raise. She's good for another $5 bill. And then I thought, well, if that wasn't enough, then there was the third strike that the preacher actually came to their home and said, listen, I know what you're giving, and it's not enough. I need you to increase what you're giving to the church, or I am going to bring about church discipline on you. And I said, you know what? I, I can understand why you've been out of church for a while. I, I can get it. But see, sometimes we can get in that attitude, can't we? We can start counting noses, or we can start counting dollar bills, or we can start counting about who's doing what, or how people are doing it. And you know what? It's not a matter of the dollar. It's not a matter of the time. It's not a matter of the resource. It's a matter of the condition of the heart. So what do the people do? They prioritize the plan of God, and they provided for the mission of God. And it was as they desired. It was as the God had put it on their heart. But what's the third response we see in the text? We see verse 29, or verse 20, all the way down to verse 29 in chapter 35. We see the people bring the stuff. They bring the stuff, and then after they bring the stuff, so you can just imagine the people bring all the stuff, and they set it in a pile, and you can just imagine Moses is like, okay, so what do we do now? Somebody's got to assemble it. Somebody's got to craft it. Somebody's got to do all the, the, the artistry work with it. And so you get to chapter 36, and verse 1, we see what they do next. Now I'm going to butcher these two names. You don't know the difference. I don't know the difference. Bez, I haven't even practiced this. Bezalel and Hoeliab and every craftsman, I'm over chapter 36 and verse 1, and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put, uh, has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. Verse 2, and Moses called Be Bezalel and Holib and every craftsman in whose, the mind, or in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. So what did they do? So they prioritized. This is the whole people. They prioritized the plan of God. They provided for the mission of God. And then they pursue the work of God. God had said, this is what I want you to do. This is my plan. This is how I want you to go about it. They had the means. They had the resources. But then someone has to put in the sweat equity. Someone has to start doing the work. 
Some of you wives and even some of you domesticated husbands, you can imagine. You go into the kitchen and you have the stove and you have the pans and you have the food, but somebody's got to assemble it. Somebody has got to put it all together. Well, sometimes you come into the life of the church and we have the plan of God. We have the resources of God. We just need the people to put their hands to the plow to do the work of God. So here in the text, what do we see? We see these two men, in addition to other people, they came and they started doing the Work And so it says that they received from Moses, this is verse 3, and they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And so the idea that you have some people who are serving and they're working, they're doing the physical work, they're doing the physical action, they're doing the labor, they're beginning to craft, they're beginning to form, they're beginning to assemble all of these things together. And you may say, well, Spence, I can't do that. Well, pursuing the things of God is not just a matter of your physical ability. Pursuing the things of God is not just serving and working, but also giving and supporting. And so some served and worked, and, and some gave and supported. And listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 3. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Who's the they? These are the people of Israel. So the people of Israel kept bringing Moses these free will offerings. Moses said, this is what I need. They're like, roger that. And they start bringing it to Moses. And it says in verse 3, bringing these free will offerings every morning. Free will means that it wasn't obligated. Free will means that they didn't have to. Free will means they got up and said, I'm going to do something for the Lord today. God has put this on my heart, and this is what I'm going to do. Free will means it was a free choice to then come and submit to God. Verse 4. So all so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary you all didn't hear me did you you ain't been reading along you all should be like what in the world what what is he saying ah here, let's, let's do this again uh, so Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. But it gets even better than that. The last part of verse 6. So the people were restrained, restrained, that's a physical term, it's the idea that they were phys physically stopped, they were physically barred. It was they wanted to come in and bring something to the Lord, and they locked them out of the church house and said, no, we don't need it. No, we don't have any place for it. They were physically restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Can you imagine the setting where people are outside these doors saying, how can I minister, how can I serve, how can I be a part of the ministry that God has called us to and people are being looked at and saying, we have no more room. We have no more place to serve. We have no more place to put offerings. We have no more place. They were pursuing, <coughs> they were pursuing the work of God. And notice it wasn't they, they, they don't keep they don't keep names, they don't keep scores. It wasn't a matter of how much. It wasn't a matter of who was doing what. It was a matter that's saying we are going to pursue after the work that God has given us to do. And so we see the people. What do they do? They prioritize the work of God, they provide for the mission of God, and they pursue the work that God had given them to do. And we see this right here in this text. And why are they doing it? It's because they realize that what God has done to them. What God has done it for them. Yeah. 
And they got this figured out. And so it's no problem. It's no issue. Happy and willing to do it. But there's a fourth bigger picture that I want you to see. We're going to zoom out a little bit here. Just think about why they're doing it. Why? Why does it matter? They had now two more tablets. Exodus 35, Moses, or Exodus 34, Moses comes down and he has the two more tablets. They're, there's the, the word is there. Moses has already been up on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. God has told him everything. Moses has all the information. So why is the tabernacle such a big deal? Why does it matter that they create the tabernacle? You know the old adage that we have around in these, this time that we're living in, that the church is not the building. The church is the people. So why is the tabernacle such an important thing? And I hope that you get this with me. Because the people understood by the construction of the tabernacle, they would be preserving the worship of God. They would preserve the worship of God. Here in the text, the people are all about the work. They're all about the construction. They're all about putting all of this together. It was the plan of God. It was the opportunity to provide for the things of God, to pursue the work that God had given them. And why is all this taking place? Because God understood and the people understood that the tabernacle would be a center point. The tabernacle would be a focal point. That the tabernacle would be the means by which people would be continually in worship of God. They understood when they they saw the tabernacle. It represented the presence of God. It represented the, the, uh, the holiness of God. When they had all of the furnishings and all of the things inside, it pointed to different attributes of God and different elements of God. And when they came in and they went through the sacrifices, when they came in and they went through the, 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 the uh, different regulations and different ceremonies, it was all to remind them about who they were and who God was. See, the goal here in the text is tangible. But the purpose was spiritual. They were erecting this tabernacle not so they can have a big tent. It is because of the spiritual effect it would have on them. And this tabernacle that they are erecting is not just a spiritual thing, but it's also going to have impact for the generations that come after them. Because you think about the story. You think about the story that goes on. This tabernacle continues to be a fixture all the way up until the point they built the, ta- they built the temple. It continues to be in the story. Why? Because it represents the presence of God and because it represents the worship of God. If you think to Joshua chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 2, chapter 3, somewhere in there, when they cross the Red Sea, what do they do? They get on the other side, other side of the Red Sea. Or, no, no, no. Jordan River. But got me for plagiarism. They get on the other side of the Jordan River, and what do they do? They grab 12 stones, they take them back down to the river, set up a monument. They take 12 stones, and they go on the outside of the bank of the river, and they set up a monument. Why do they do that? They do that to remind themselves about what God has done for them. You go back in Genesis, and you see Abram, or you see Jacob. And when God does these monumental things in their life, what do they do? They built an altar. And it's meant to be a presentation. It's meant to be remembrance of what God has done. So here in this text, they are building this tabernacle so that they not only do have a place to worship God, they have a place to teach people how to worship God, and they have a place to remind themselves about the worship of God. I realize my children's greatest need is a right relationship with the Lord. And I haven't met them yet, but I can go ahead and tell you right now that my grandchildren's greatest need is a right relationship with the Lord. 
if God continues to tarry, my great-grandkids' greatest need is a right relationship with the Lord. And my great-great-grandchildren's need is a right relationship with the Lord. You see, there's a lot of things that we do during the course of our lives, and there's a lot of things that we do during the course of, uh, of just the calendar that we build our own kingdoms, we build the community kingdoms, we build other people's kingdoms. But brothers and sisters, when it comes to the work of God and the ministry that God has given the church, we have an opportunity not just to build something for our season of life, but to build something that helps preserve the spiritual awareness for the lives that are coming after us. I could take you. I, I could take you around this community. And I could show you the churches that are shut down. And I'm not saying, I don't know why they shut down. We're going to Branson here in a couple of months and looking at a place to stay where a family of eight can stay there. And I found south of Branson, there was a, there was a church that they have turned into a rental property. It's a Methodist church that has since closed and they've turned it into like a Airbnb or a Verbo or something like that. I'm just thinking, how sad is that? And is that sacrilegious if we stay there? In an old church. But I can take you around here and I can show you these churches. And you're like, why did they shut down? I don't know what they, why they shut down. But I do know that when they shut down, that spiritual light is snuffed out. So what do we as an opportunity to do here? It's to prioritize the work that God has given us. To provide for the things that God has put in front of us. To pursue the things that God has called us to. So that we might preserve the spiritual light, that we might preserve the opportunity for the generations that come after us to not only know what it means to worship, but to be taught what proper worship looks like and to also know that this thing of worship is not something that is done flippantly or disrespectfully, but you come to the things of God and why are they building this tabernacle in Exodus 34 and 35 and 36? Because this is a means of worship and preserving the worship for the generations to come. So how do we take this passage then and plug it into our core values as a church? To build families, teach the Bible, and be the church. How do we plug this back in? How do you look at a passage like this and go, well, then how does this apply both to us individually and us corporately? When it comes to building families, how do we plug it in? We understand, we're reminded of ourselves, and we take to heart that this whole picture, it begins in the home. That it begins in the home. I, I, I go back. I go back to chapter 25, or chapter 35, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 20 and 21. Moses gives the instructions. This is what we're going to do. This is what God has called us to do. This is how we're going to proceed. And it says the people left, and then the people came back. And I said, can you just imagine the conversation that happened with mom and dad and the kids going, what are we going to do? It started in the home. They understood that when God was a priority in the home, and God was a priority in the marriage, and God was a priority in the family, that then the things that would follow would be the things pleasing to God. I was reading a book this week, and what it said was something that I found very convicting. It says, as the man goes, goes the marriage. And as the marriage goes, goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the community. So where does this whole thing of worship start? It starts in the home. So why do we need to build families? Because we understand that that is 
the foundation that God has put for where worship begins and where the, dis- the, dis- the discipling and the instruction of our children. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you talk about the Shema. And what is it? It's centered on the home. So not only does it begin in the home, but this thing, this idea that we see in Exodus 35 and 36, it's centered on God. Why are they bringing contributions? Because God told them to. Who are they bringing the contributions for? For the purpose of God. What is, who's going to get the credit and who's going to get the worship? It's going to be God. This is all centered on God. That's why idolatry is so disastrous, because idolatry seeks to get our center off of God and onto something else. Which is why we constantly have to be questioning ourselves and checking ourselves. Because it can be very easy for you and I to become centered on things that aren't from God. So that's why we teach the Bible. Because this whole thing is about God. And then how does it help us be the church? Thinking about Exodus 35 and, 30, and verse 36, or chapter 35 and chapter 36. Because we understand that it should be all be anchored in truth. It should all be anchored in truth. The people are coming and they're bringing these things. It's not Moses that got up and said, hey, I've got an idea. And he just put together his idea. It wasn't that they just said, let's just make something up. Let's just dream about something. No, what it is, is God is saying, Moses is what I want you to do. Tell the people. Moses tells the people. Everything is centered upon the truthfulness of God's word. And church, we have no right or privilege to ordain or position the ministry of this church on anything else but God and His Word. So you get to chapter 35 and chapter 36 and you see the people, when they realized what God's forgiveness and grace and mercy had done for them, and they came out of that season of rebellion, and they came out of that season of distance, And they find themselves in a state of gratitude. In a state of appreciation. Because they know what God has done for them. Then we see how they respond by then pursuing the things that God had told them to do. So the question then remains for you and I this morning. How are we going to respond? How do we respond to the knowledge that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us? How do we then respond to the idea that forgiveness and salvation is not because of my works or your works, but because of the works of God? How do we respond to the truthfulness of God's word, the, the commands, the mandates, and, and we understand when God's word calls us to do something, and how do we respond to the, the steps of faithfulness in front of us? How will we respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Some of you this morning are here. You've never made that decision to cry out for forgiveness of your sins. And this morning is a day that you need to realize that you have sinned against the Holy God. And the penalty of that sin is separation from God for eternity. But God sent His Son because He loves you so much and He's made a way so that you might be forgiven of your sin. And the greatest need you have this morning is for a right relationship with your Creator. This morning, we would love to talk with you about what that looks like to be saved. Some of you are here this morning and you know that you're saved. Oh, that's not the question, preacher. 
I know I'm, I know I'm right with God. Are you walking with God? See, it's one thing to say you're right with God. It's another thing to say you're walking with God. What do you mean by walking with God? I mean, are you being faithful? Are you being obedient? Are you submitting to His Word? I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking if you make a decision about God sometime in the past. What I'm asking is, are you walking with God today? Maybe some of us in this room would say, ah. Maybe there's things that you just flat out know that you're living in rebellion for. And maybe this morning is a day that you say, God, I'm done. I'm going to turn to you and pursue after you. I don't know what it may be, but we always want to have a time to respond to God's word this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to respond in multiple ways this morning. Maybe this morning you need to respond by coming and making a decision to be saved. Maybe your response this morning is saying, God, there's some people in my heart or my life that I need prayer for, that I need to be praying for, that, that are heavy in my heart. And maybe this time during your response is that you just cry out and you just pray to God. Or maybe there's something that God has put in your heart and your means or your method of response this morning is coming and kneeling at the front and just praying and saying, God, please help. Maybe your means and method this morning is giving back as God has given to you. I'm going to pray, and then as we begin to sing, there will be have some, some people that will come up, and they'll begin to, to pass the offering plate as we, as we sing and re-respond. And maybe this morning, your, your response is that you give to the work of the Lord. Or maybe there's something else that God has put in your heart. What we want to do is we want to pray, and we want to begin to respond. And your response may be to sing and worship. Maybe your response is to pray and to petition. Maybe your response is to come and repent. Maybe your response is to give and support. Or maybe your response is all of the above. Whatever it is, we want to give you a time to respond as God leads. Our Heavenly Father, as we've opened your word and God, as we've studied your word, God, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts and our lives. And God, I pray that we as your people, that in these moments that you have given us, to respond to you. Father, I pray that we respond to you with a heart of gratitude, with a heart of faithfulness. Father, I pray for the men and women, the boys and girls that are in this room this morning. God, I pray that it not just be enough that we would know about you, but God, that we'd be walking with you. And God, I pray that as we, as we go through this time of response, that God, that we would understand you know, you see, we might fool those around us, but we're not going to fool you. So, Father, I pray for the decisions that need to be made in this room. I pray for the repentance that needs to take place in this room. I pray for the hearts in this room. Father, may we respond to you in grateful obedience this morning. And ask all these things in your son's name.